Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, a trauma-informed spiritual mentor, certified meditation teacher, and human design expert. I'm empowering empaths in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse, childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. Subscribe now. This is Season 5, Episode 82, How to Die Happy Without the Narcissist in Your Life with Martin O'Toole. Do you ever wonder, can the narcissist change? It's the hot debate where us victims immediately shut down with never. However, our guest is not out there flashing his woke, conscious, I'm a narcissist game. He has buried that old self and had done some intense shadow work through plant medicine and multiple different healing modalities and has emerged like the phoenix from the ashes, a brand new man. Today, with our guest, Martin O'Toole, we discuss what happiness is and is not and his transformational journey from sociopath, narcissist, and man in the UK to a humble mental health advocate and yogi in Bali. Having been talked out of a suicide attempt by his beagle, this rock-bottom moment launched a phenomenal journey of self-healing and personal transformation. Through his intense experiences with depression and the pointless pursuance of happiness, Martin uncovered the alchemy of everlasting happiness, what he calls the anatomy of happy. Understanding the depths of depression and contrasting heights of delight, compelled to share his story, he started the How to Die Happy podcast. He just published his new psycho-spiritual self-help book by the same name, How to Die Happy. So in today's episode, we covered his former narcissism, the answer to that hot debated topic, can they change, and what woke him up to change, and we talked about his transformational journey, and what modalities really truly helped him, again, die to his old self and renew anew through his spiritual awakening journey. And he shared also a fair few tips on how to die happy. Can't wait to dive into this conversation, so let's get into it. Hey, Martin, how are you? I am very well, Raven. How are you? I'm good. I'm feeling good. I just have to share. I usually don't share this, but right now with you in the space, I'm like, we just finished our Empath Aura healing bubble to get us prepared to deliver this beautiful divine message to you, Empaths. And I'm like, I'm feeling really good right now. (laughs) It's like when you have like a nice drink or something. A nice hot tea. Yes, a nice spot of tea. Yeah, so you originally are from the UK and you're in Bali. How did that happen? Where's that transition? That's a long story. Yes, I'm <laughs> originally from the UK and I, after having what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity in early 2019, I, I sold and gave away everything I owned, closed down my successful business and moved to Bali to live a mindful life. So I left, left London for the tropics. Wow. That's amazing. A quieter life. Yeah. And I know in your bio, you said you're, you were an admin, which is like crazy fast paced lifestyle. So first off, I just want to share from your book. You said that you lacked empathy 
to the point of sociopathy or sociopathy. I'm not sure how you say that. Mistreating many. Sociopathy? Did I say that right first time? Sociopathy, yeah. Okay, sociopathy. Mistreating many in search of intimacy. They were searching validation, distraction, and success. A life of friction gave me purpose, and I became adept at sidestepping responsibility. So talking to us empaths who are kind of interacting with people, that kind of, that paints a picture of who we're dealing with at the moment. How did this lifestyle give you temporary purpose? That's a great question. Well, I suppose to to backtrack a little bit, the, the point yeah. with all of that was that at that time I had zero idea that I was in pursuit of unhappiness as opposed mm -hmm. to really living a fulfilled life. So I was chasing my tail really from one distraction to another. And I felt that by chasing distractions, I had purpose. And it was only later on that I realized that actually I wasn't living a healthy life at all. I wasn't helping myself or indeed others, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, I had, a, should we say, a misunderstanding about, about what purpose really was. And where do you think that came from? Can you share us a bit about your background? Like, I think we all can, can relate to like chasing something outside of ourselves, but where do you think that came from for you? Yeah, well, my, my background is, 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 is probably quite typical, unfortunately, for life on earth. My mother was an alcoholic and I grew up in a, in a particularly dramatic childhood in a dramatic home rather and had a dramatic childhood so I experienced a great deal of what I later learned was was trauma and well what I later learned was abuse mm. and as a result of of this tempestuous lifestyle and energy in the household on a daily basis I disconnected and uh, self-soothed and became my own therapist. And, and as a result, as you might expect, learned some of the, learned some rather curious ways to cope with my emotions, with other people, with life in general, and, and became a very bad counselor for myself. So as I got older, I began to crash and bash around the place more. I mean, I even did as a child, I suppose. Then ultimately started drinking and and became an alcoholic <clears throat> excuse me an alcoholic a sex addict a drug addict and a drama addict really i was addicted to anything any kind of distraction so year year on year really this and, and layer by layer and of course more and more internal counseling and very little in fact zero external counseling or indeed trusting anyone else built this castle if you like, with inside the keep was a was a, a broken little boy, and around the keep were various very Machiavellian and clever security measures to keep everyone away from the broken little boy. Yeah, <laughs> did, did that make sense? <laughs> totally, totally. And I think that's like almost every narcissist in us empaths are like, I know, I see the little boy, and I see the potential, and. I would love your perspective on, did anybody loving ever help you or was that your own journey you had to, 
to go to wake up and be like, oh, this is not the way? Well, people did try to help me in their own way. I, I would certainly say that. Although I would also say that like attracts like, doesn't it? So, so whatever we're putting out, we get back. And my the series of lessons that I had to learn about love and especially about my relationship with the feminine mm. were very hard lessons because I wasn't attracting anyone who was in a was was in a an emotional and spiritual place to be able to properly help me so uh, i i tended to attract so i i i to be to to use common language i had mummy issues and i was attracting younger women who had father issues so uh. we had this we were fulfilling a role for one another but they were they were very toxic primarily and certainly, yeah. if not toxic, certainly unhealthy. So it took for me to to get sober first and foremost, which I did after a, a, a series of, of really ridiculous, quite dramatic incidents and, and then a, a serious injury. And then I, I started to see a therapist and, and that was really the beginning. That was way back in 2015, something like that, around the same time that I nearly killed myself which I think was also another moment. Well, that was a rock bottom moment. I don't think it gets any more rock bottom than, than staring yeah. down the barrel of, of a loaded shotgun. And that's how low I got. And then ultimately, from there, I had to climb back out of a very, very, very deep well of misunderstanding and do some unlearning. I mean, that's incredible. And you share more of that in your, your book, but can you share a bit of that moment? Like what was that rock bottom moment that, that launched you into this journey of self-healing? Well, I'd got, to, I'd got to the point where I was with a partner at the time with whom I had had an affair behind my second wife's back, left my second wife, moved in with this partner who was younger than me and had her own issues. So we had a we had a very unhealthy relationship built on foundations of of mistrust and of of cheating of of, of lying, and when my mum suddenly died, that launched this strange, at the time, unblocking of emotion, uh, and mm. and strange things started to happen within me. I obviously realised I'd had this horrible relationship with with the the woman who who gave birth to me for years. And we'd, we, I tried, I, I'm sure she tried in her own way with, with the tools that she had, but we just never, we just never managed to, to properly connect. And of course, as we, as I got older, we, we disconnected and, and we saw less of each other. So I wasn't mm -hmm. around for her cancer. And I did actually see her on Christmas day and she died on the 6th of January. So, I had so much regret. I was carrying all of this guilt and shame and regret for, for not having a healthy relationship with my mum. I was shouldering it all, obviously, at that time. It didn't really occur to me to, to consider that we were co-responsible. And certainly as the adult in the relationship when I was a child, she was wholly responsible. So I had to go through that. And, and that whole process was actually... The big the the rebirthing of me the the beginning of the rebirthing of me, and I say I do say in the book that actually 
when people die, it's often the best thing that can ever, ever happen to us. And I mean it, obviously, in a, an immensely positive way. Because for me, my mum's death was the beginning of my rebirth, albeit a very slow six, no, no four year, four year rebirth, I think. So I started with, with a traditional therapist and then, and then moved on through an incredible journey from there. Oh, yeah. You said you mentioned that you did ayahuasca. I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you're, I, I'm, I'm assuming you may have. We had a guest. That. I'll have to pull up when I'm editing to reference the episode, but he shared with us all about ayahuasca and how amazingly powerful it is. And uh-huh. yeah, it helped him with his addictions and his issues, his trauma as well. And he now runs a facility that. Ah, that is beautiful. Well, I'd love to yeah. find out more about this chap. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going yeah. down the same same path. Certainly, I, I'm going down the same path in my own way at this stage. I, I, I'm, I've my first ayahuasca ceremony was in early 2019. I've since done many, many, many over a dozen, and I would say without a shadow of a doubt that the ayahuasca healed my addiction and and a great lump of my trauma and i think what it also did was and i'm sure this is a whole other episode but what it also did was was enable me to 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 be back here in third density and to feel significantly more connected to everyone and everything so it was Mm. yeah i mean ayahuasca psilocybin mescaline, 5-MeO-DMT. I've done some significant work since with these incredibly powerful and healing medicines. And of course, people have said to me, well, how does a drug addict use drugs to heal? And obviously, I respect their truth using words like drugs when describing psychedelics, but that's not my truth. They're medicines. They're called plant medicines, and they're certainly not addictive in any way, shape, or form. And we are about to experience a global revolution in in psychology and psychiatry as a result of these medicines, assuming they're ever properly allowed or rather decriminalized, which... Maybe. We've got a good... We got a good few decades to come, 21 years with Pluto and Aquarius. Maybe. Maybe. That would be amazing. Well, meanwhile, they're still growing in the field down the road. So I don't think anybody should be dissuaded just because the so-called authorities suggest otherwise. Yeah, I really view it more as what it is. It's plant medicine. It's not something that someone just sells you on the street and you self-administer. There's a whole ritual. There's Mm -hmm. it's guided. It's yeah, it's very done very well and carefully. Yeah, absolutely. Set, setting and guide are the three key words I always use Mm -hmm. when talking about Mm -hmm. psychedelics. It's not something you should do on your own unless you're a seasoned psychonaut. I talk about this in the book, a great, yes. great detail. So, yeah, absolutely. I love that. So I kind of already talked about this, but I have in my notes, when we come back from commercial break, we're going to hear about your journey from shifting from this alcoholic who've told us all about your aha moment into being a mental health advocate, to being an author, yogi, meditator, and podcaster. How do you know you're on the right path? The healing journey is unique to each person, and it takes one baby step at a time. The truth about narcissists, journal ritual, EFT tapping, mirror work, connect with your healed ancestor, 
Ho'oponopono prayer, dealing with difficult people meditation, gratitude journal, and human design 101. These are just some of the few tools that I have included in the Empath and Narcissist book, A Healing Guide with Spiritual Exercises. I am over here on the other side of the deep, dark cavern abyss that you're facing right now, of the unknown. I'm here waving, cheering you on to take your next right step to the other side. And one of those steps is to educate yourself and gain all the healing tools that have helped me cross my own bridge to the other side and have a life full of abundance and love and peace away from the narcissist. You can find my book on Amazon and listen on Audible today. So you mentioned you have transformed from your own narcissistic traits. Can you tell us what behaviors you did before we dive into how you shifted that? Yeah. More specifics. I can. Well, I I suppose I was a fairly extreme narcissist. Okay. So were you ever diagnosed, by the way? Just curious. No, I was was never... No, I wasn't officially diagnosed. No, it was discussed. But but at that time, I wasn't... I was being very, very dishonest with my therapist. So I was lying to my therapist about about a lot of things, including my addiction and my suicidal thoughts. So it was, although apparently 90 odd percent of people do lie to their therapist. So it's, it's, it's quite a classic thing to do. I feel like they probably anticipate that you're probably lying to me. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they do. And I'm sure they, I'm sure they, <laughs> you know, probably make little notes to just say, you know, fibber, fibber every time. I don't know, but <laughs> my therapist was a was a really beautiful soul. But yeah, I was I was displaying all the all of the the classic traits of narcissistic narcissistic personality disorder. So I had a ludicrously high sense of self importance. I was constantly seeking attention and admiration, and I bragged. When I think back, mm. I th- I bragged and I showed off my my possessions and my status. Uh, be that cars or watches or um, other other things that 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 gave me this sense of importance and and advertised who I was to others. But more... were you like actual madman admin? You know, like that show Madman. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess I was. Yeah. I mean, the, in the ad industry, there is a, a significant amount of of drinking, smoking, and and coking. Or at least I, I, I'm 47, so I started in the in the ad industry a long time ago. But yeah, it was it was all of the same sort of madness, and and of course, being a, a high functioning alcoholic, I was able to to go out all night, drink countless volumes of alcohol, smoke 40 cigarettes, hammer two, maybe three, maybe four grams of cocaine, and then clear the desk spray some stuff around and then the staff would come back into the agency then the next morning you know and i would i would just i would soldier on through the day so it was it was incredibly unhealthy and of course using drugs like that and alcohol like that not sleeping like that plays havoc with your with your emotions and psychology anyway so you add that to the psychology already had and i was manipulating and taking advantage of of people primarily women I had a very unhealthy relationship with the feminine and through my sex addiction would use these Machiavellian tactics to, to win female trophies. It was 
a very, very confused time. And so I, I, res- I, I ended up with hundreds of, of sexual partners. And, and of course, many of these people knew what they were doing as well. It wasn't, it wasn't all one-sided, but, but if I think now I think back, I, I realize what a, an incredibly unhealthy relationship I had with sexuality and, and with the feminine. And I've spent a, a lot of my time in the, in, the, in my healing process has, has actually has been to address that as well, particularly to, to, to create more of a, a masculine feminine balance which yeah. I'm glad to see I'm glad to say I have done. So there were there were yeah, all, all How do you all, do that? Cuz I feel like everyone says narcissists can't change. And yes. maybe you weren't diagnosed but you were definitely on the very unhealthy spectrum of how you related to women and probably some of them would have called you a narcissist. Like is it yeah. true is it not? Like what the age-old question. <laughs> well, I I I think if, if you can, whether you're diagnosed or not, I think if you can look back at yourself with love and without judgment, and, and this, is, this is called shadow work, right? And, and yeah. when, I went, when I went through my shadow work process, I, I, I saw all of these things that I'd done. I saw that I gaslit. I saw that I, 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 I would cheat and perhaps almost be caught out for example you know with a mobile phone message flashing or something and i would i would go to great lengths to lie about it but then also to to make my partner feel as though she was insane or as though she was insecure and jealous and mm. and i and i would take that to the point where i would use rage or outrage to shatter the conversation I would often use rage. I, I'm, I wasn't a violent, I was never violent with, with women, but I was violent in the space. So I would, I would hit doors or, you know, crash and bang it to make, to try to distract someone from actually getting any, anywhere close to, to this broken little boy and, and to some element of truth. So I, I showed, I showed all of the, all of the, the classic symptoms and to an, to an extreme degree, I, I think. So how did I? Well, and of course, narcissists don't know they're narcissists, do they? That's the that's the fundamental point. Right, and they don't need therapy, so why would they go to therapy? Right? Exactly, they're the, exactly. They're the perfect fact, ones who have to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, you're the one that needs therapy because you're constantly right. questioning me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. I, I would. How did I? How did I fix it? I th- I think it was twofold. It was sobriety, and then it was ayahuasca, and I, I really do put my plant medicine work or rather I, I credit my plant medicine work for the deep deep healing that I've done because what ayahuasca is able to do as you as you may have already discussed on previous shows is it, it, it digs right down under the subconscious unconscious and it pulls out these events I say it she it's a it's a feminine mm-hmm. energy this medicine we call it the grandmother her the grandmother and she print she represents events trauma but not just from your traditional perspective. She shows you your perspective. She shows you the perspective of the other person or people, but then also the, the universal perspective. And as a result of that, you wind up with a, a completely new empathetic, empathetic, empathic perspective mm-hmm. of the event. And you can see exactly who you were and what you did. And, and you're able to see new truths. So that was how I, I, I think really it was the medicine and, the, and sobriety together combined because once I'd been sober for a year, 
and that did wonders for me. I'd, I'd been eating clean. I'd, I'd, I'd got fit. I'd stopped smoking. I did the whole thing. It was, I changed my environment, obviously, because I moved to Bali. And, and I spent a year not doing any work, but the work, arguably the most, the most difficult the work. work. Well, yeah. the, the work, the work worth doing. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, but, but also I'm so grateful to, to myself and to my, you know, that time in my life, because, because not everybody gets to do that, do they? But I, I was, I was able to take a year and, and just learn about meditation and go to silent retreats and start doing yoga and breath work and sound healing. I was in a, a new environment with new people. Bali has, has got a huge conscious community, as you may know. So it was, it was a, it was a massive, massive change. I mean, it couldn't even, I couldn't have changed my life anymore. And as a result of that, I was able to do this, this wonderful introspection. Uh, and mainly on my own, but then later I, I did do hypnotherapy with a wonderful okay. woman called Kartika Alexandra here in Bali, and she took so me. You recommended her to be on the show. I think I did. Yes, yeah. I I, okay. I recommended that because Kartika's been on on my podcast a couple of times as well, and she okay. she is a wonderful woman, an incredible healer. And what she was able to do was to take me back to my old house my childhood house outside of my my mum's bedroom and i was outside the room listening to her crying and drinking and and watching her smoking as i always did as a child through the through the crack in the in the door hinge i would just sit for for hours sometimes just quietly watching her suffering and often shouting at herself and hissing and in communicating with with an, some sort of an entity that was that was torturing her, mm, so gave me goosebumps. Mm. Yeah, it was a it was a <laughs> this this was this was part of my childhood. It was a it was a crazy time. So yeah, excuse me, I've got a really itchy nose. So <laughs> okay. Kartika was able to take me back to that environment through hypnosis, and then communicate with five year old Martin. And I was able to to talk to five-year-old Martin and tell him it was not his fault. Nothing that happened to him was his fault. And he, and he was then able to communicate to my mum that she was neglecting him, that she that she that he needed her, that he needed her love and her attention, and to be hugged and to be held by her. And and she, through this, uh, I was also able to do something called tra transpersonal therapy where I, where I hopped into her and I could feel her pain and I could feel her misery over her addiction and her depression. And through, through this incredible process, all three of us, 45-year-old me, five-year-old me, and my mum were able to bond in this beautiful, loving and forgiving way, which gives me goosebumps talking about it because it it, it, it was time travel. It's, it's the only way yeah. I can really describe it. And there is And you were science. also crossing time boundaries. Yeah, you were yes. kind of all meshing and yeah. Yeah, exactly that. It's and so the weird that you bring that up right now today. Sorry, that's like delaying because I just had an Akashic record reading by this beautiful gal named Jacqueline. And when I got off it and it like took me some time, I was like, like, I seriously understand, like, the whole time travel boundaries thing. Like, there's no limit. Like, I understand now. <laughs> there is no time. <laughs> it's a construct, construct of the system and of the yeah. mind. 
Yeah, it's exactly what I did. And, and there, there's some science dabbling in this in this area now, finally, which is, is going to eventually link this to, to quantum physics, really, to this kind of work. Essentially, the, the point, and I, and I talk about this in the book, there is, this is a way for us to heal. And this is certainly a way for a narcissist to heal is through with with the help of either plant medicine or a, a hypnotherapist you can you can be put back into into your into your mindset your psyche or, or in, in, a, in a at a previous age and so we healed five-year-old martin and told him to go and play which was a mm. I, I remember it still now it's a beautiful moment because he just he just sort of he smiled and he turned around and he actually just went off and played and and you know this kid had a, a very isolated life, so it, it it was an it was a beautiful healing moment. And then of course I came back. Well, I in the hypnotherapy session just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, and then we did this clearing work. But it was a, that was a profound moment for me, I believe. <clears throat> Excuse mm. me. Sorry. I and can your you're are you repartnered? Can your friends or partners in Bali can they attest that you are a transformed man? You are no longer narcissistic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, the, the, the funny thing is the people from my past in the UK didn't know who I was. The, the, and they were all, I think, quite shocked when I first started to make all these changes and I started to use different language and I, I swore less. And I, I mean, I still swear, don't get me wrong, but, and I started saying peace and love. And, and, and actually, I lost, I lost quite a lot of friends through, through this change, through my sobriety through this work that I started to do and and that's okay I'm on I'm on a path they're on a path uh, nobody's right or wrong but, and then I've I met a beautiful woman three and a half years ago Jules who's who's my my life partner now and shall be forever more and she does the podcast with me she's a yogi and an incredible an incredibly powerful divine feminine being who has through patience and and love taught me how to take this this these new skills if you like but then to 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 translate them into a relationship because and and this is actually the first i've i've got two ex ex ex-wives i've got several ex-serious relationships but this is the 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 first real truly loving and conscious relationship i've ever had and i'm i'm incredibly grateful for it so much so that i i dedicated the book to jules Oh, everything she's everything she's done for me and, and the teachings she's she's offered me and now we grow together which is yeah. which is a beautiful thing in itself so yeah so I and now i have i have former friends from the uk now reaching out and saying i've read your book wow a couple of people are coming out to see me soon and i think yeah i'm i'm, I'm just so grateful for for, for having essentially experienced a, a new life within a life which is yeah that is that it's literally a whole new second life like you have a second chance it's amazing exactly so, so i refer to the old version of me as martin version 1.0 so Ooh, it was Mar- martin version 1.0 who did all of that other stuff and i'm grateful to him <laughs> as well for all of his lessons yeah. yeah yeah he got you through the world until you needed to wake up <laughs> exactly I have a question to ponder on. We're getting the perspective that there is hope and there is definitely a modality that can shift narcissists to be able to regain empathy. How do empaths, maybe on the receiving end, like 
I guess, what do they do with this information? Like, do they just do their own thing or do they introduce this to their narcissist? Or I'd love your take on that because I know what I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I have what many might consider to be an, an, an overtly pragmatic approach to a lot of these things these days because I, I, amidst my journey or along, along the way, I picked up many practical utilities from Eastern philosophies. So I learned about Buddhism. I learned about Taoism. I learned about Confucianism. And the Buddhists in particular have a, a, a wonderfully pragmatic, logical approach to life in samsara, as we call the, the cycle of life, death, and, and suffering and rebirth. And, and essentially, it, it is to learn to master your emotions and see emotions as, as, as the illusion or as illusory facets of ego, which they are if we think about it. And of course, our, everyone responds to things in a different way based on their emotional makeup, on their, on their psychological pathology. So my advice to anyone in a relationship with a narcissist, and, I, and I, I do talk about this a lot in the book, is to get out of your relationship with narcissists. Now, that doesn't sound particularly empathic or loving. I appreciate that. But the rationale I utilize for this is if you feel that you have already given them enough opportunities and you have communicated your needs, and this is crucial, of course, if we expect someone to behave in a certain way, but they don't, and we're disappointed, did we communicate exactly what we needed from them? Clearly, that's a question for us. Of course it is. But if we have done that, and we've done that several times, and they continue to abuse us, and of course themselves, then we're talking about love here. At which point do we consider self-love? So at which point do we consider how much this is hurting us? How depleting it is for us? How, how much it's actually harming our mental health? And if we are in a relationship with a, with a very clever an intelligent and, and Machiavellian narcissist, are we actually beginning to question ourselves and, and, and be, are we gaslit? And if we are being gaslit, how good is that for our mental health? Because I talk about a psychological analysis tool called Cartman's Drama Triangle in the book. The book is f- packed with practical utilities. That's the fundamental point. And it's, it's curated wisdom. That. Well, I want because I wanted to share all of these things that I'd come across and and that I realized would help others. So it's curated wisdom. It's my personal stories, and it's a pile of practical utilities. Cartman's Drama Triangle talks about each dramatic event carrying involving one of three personas: the persecutor, the rescuer, or the victim. And any drama taking place, any dramatic transaction taking place. The, the people, let's say it's two people, involved in that relationship are, are assuming one of those roles, whether you know or not. Yeah. Now, quite often a narcissist will, will flip between persecutor and victim. Think about how a narcissist will realize that they're not getting the attention that they need. Therefore, they will, they will accentuate their victim status. Woe is me. My life is terrible. The universe hates me. This happened. That happened. Nothing goes right for me. Can you help me, please? And of course, an empath will will leap to 
their aid because that's what empaths do, assuming the role of rescuer. And they'll hop on into that drama triangle, unaware that they even needed a, a buoyancy aid or any sort of, what do you call it, those, those guns that shoot light up in the air. I can't remember the name of them. Where, when you, and, anyway. Oh, a yeah, flare, a flare. Flare gun. <laughs> I got lost in my own metaphor. <laughs> it's very early here. So you, you, don't, you leap into the triangle without, without thinking, of course, because you just want to help people. And what mm-hmm. Cartman suggests and rightly so, is that once we're in that, that dynamic, rescuer to, to victim, at a certain point, the triangle's going to flip and the, our roles will flip. And, and every empath listening to this show right now will, will know exactly what I'm talking about. When you leap in to help someone, a narcissist, who, who is playing the victim, and, then, and you think you might be making some headway, and then suddenly, boom, the triangle flips, and you become the victim and they are the persecutor. And it happens every time. There's, there's, no, there's no avoiding it. It's, and it's always going to happen because the reality is a narcissist doesn't know they're a narcissist. And until a narcissist is fully prepared to accept their own bullshit, excuse me, can I say that on the Yes, you can wear it. Yeah, yeah, you can smile. Right. If, if they're, until they do the shadow work, until they're fully prepared to, to self-realize and become self-aware and own their own bullshit, there's yeah. very little you can do to help them. And I know that's not what empaths want to hear, but it is the reality of, of, yeah. of truth. So ultimately, it's all about self-love. Self-love must mm. come first. And if we, if we want to be, if we want to be the best healers and helpers and supporters of others, the best thing we can do is make sure that we're always taken care of first. Yeah. If, if, you know, there's no point in, in pouring water out of our glass into another's if our glass is already over half empty right yeah. or half full <laughs> yeah another. whichever one perspective you view exactly yeah so sorry that's it's, it's, what the akashic shared with me today that's so funny too that they said exactly that is it starts within yourself heal yeah heal Big yourself time. fill yourself up with that self-love and it'll overflow and it'll spill over to those who are ready to receive it which typically will not be the narcissist beautiful beautifully put and, and and but it is it is about that and it's about what ramdas said all i can do to help others is work or to help you is work on myself and all you can do to help me is work on yourself and if we do that mindfully with gratitude and regularly then absolutely that will overflow and people will be attracted to that and i don't mean that in in the sense that we do it because we want to be attractive i mean People who want to be around that energy will be attracted to that energy. We will resonate on the same frequency, if you like. And I think we can provide healing to those that have taken those early steps. Now, it's not to say that we give up on on narcissists and people suffering with mental illness, because to be clear, we are talking about mental illness here. Whether or not it's been diagnosed is irrelevant. And let's face it. How often is a narcissist actually diagnosed a narcissist? Because how often does a narcissist go to seek help from a professional health worker? Like 99% of the time. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so I, I think it's something we need to, it's something I'm, I'm quite keen to champion here is to get away from this diagnosis of, of, of narcissistic personality disorder business, because I think we're missing great swathes of the populace yeah. if we're only talking to people 
about this if they've actually been diagnosed because the reality is most of them haven't and actually most of them have never even had therapy yeah um, well and someone another guest andrew daniel just recently in late march he talked about the narcissistic image right we all have this image within us and so we all have this spectrum of some type of ego we'll call it which is the mm -hmm. narcissistic trait that mm -hmm. we need to heal you know that we need to tamper that we need to awaken to be more conscious versus always leading with the unconscious and I, I love that point of view because there's so many people that are just hating on narcissists and mm. there's one thing to protect yourself and put boundaries up right and not allow the narcissist to continue to abuse you and another where you are literally hating on them and seeing them as yeah. inhuman because they are human also totally and I, and I talk about this a lot in the book yeah all of those things that you just discussed in, in, in different chapters. Ultimately, we all have an ego. It's, it's a device. It's an energetic device that keeps us here. Without ego, we wouldn't be on planet Earth. But more mm -hmm. fundamentally, without ego, we wouldn't have survived as long as we have. Ego literally keeps us alive. So ego, contrary to what a lot of people suggest, is not the enemy it's a misguided friend and mm. i use the analogy or, or the metaphor if you like of monkey so i call my ego monkey and uh, you find out about some some adventures that monkey and i have had but there was a moment during my awakening process where it literally was an awakening i i it was like my consciousness came to in the back seat of a car with gaffer tape on covering its mouth and my and its hands tied behind its back and suddenly it as it became aware of its surroundings and the earth rover i call the human body an earth rover you find that in the book a lot so consciousness is in the back seat of the earth rover and there's a monkey joyriding the earth rover crashing and banging into all sorts of stuff doesn't have a license nobody taught monkey how to drive well actually they did but one of monkey's teachers was an alcoholic so you can sort of figure how that's going to work out and and consciousness then suddenly broke free of of its bonds i broke free of my bonds and and suddenly sort of tapped monkey on the shoulder and said hey buddy you can you can get in the back seat now you can sit down you can sit there now i'm going to take over i'm going to drive I'll be asking you for, to help me to navigate every once in a while, but I think it's probably best that I drive now. And we all, we all have that. It's, it's, not a, it's not a narcissistic trait, I don't believe. It's, it's just ego. And depending on our, our upbringing, <clears throat> our social, familial, religious conditioning, that's where the, the layer cake uh, is designed. And of course, you know, therein uh, lies the the nature of narcissism because some of us uh, find ourselves in a, in a in a position where we're neglected or abused or both, and then we develop a very skewed idea of 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 what how we should be behaving in certain events and with certain people. And of course, it's it's ninety nine percent of the time not the right way. And I'm not saying there is a right right or wrong way, but ultimately, yeah, we must 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 see all of these things as as illness i i know how hard it is because i know we judge we all judge and if we see someone behaving in a certain way conveying a persona and displaying certain traits it's natural for us to say oh yeah that that person's a, a dick or for doing this but then that's because we're, we're always just seeing the t the tip of the iceberg aren't we
so often or less frequently are we actually seeing what's underneath the the surface of the water what made them be the way they are what kind of conditioning have they had what kind of trauma have they experienced so that and that's probably something i would advise any and all empaths to take on board is because that's something that we can all help that's 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 a way we can all be to size our uh our healing nature, if you like, is is just to be more understanding. However, there's a huge caveat there. Be understanding, but always, always, always draw clear boundaries, <clears throat> because there is always a point where where we can we can be there and hold space for people with these issues. And I, you know, I'm talking about these people. I was this person, so I'm, this is all said with love, zero judgment. But we must, must, must make sure that we protect our own space. So, of course, I also talk about boundaries in the book because it's it's just as important to protect our own energetic space from these from these people and these these events. Your mic's gone off. I've lost you. I muted myself. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Here I am. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that analogy about the monkey. So. Tell us, you've told us all throughout the book. I thought I had one more quote I wanted to read from your book. That was on death. Interestingly enough, most of what you're sharing is more about living than death. But you've got the the book, How to Die Happy. Share with us that and your freebie. Yeah, well, yeah, you've you've rightly identified what this book really is all about is that the secret to dying well is in a life well lived. So the book is is broken into three parts, dying, living, being. And the fundamental thing I wanted to do with this book was to was to take a little pine hammer and just crack open the taboo of death for for particularly for westerners. Obviously I, I live in the far east now and 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 people in Bali for example, the Balinese Hindus have a very different perspective on death. Death is a celebration. Mm-hmm. Funerals aren't funerals. Everyone wears beautiful, bright colors and that sort of thing. So, but I I realized one of the things, one of the conversations that must be had if we are to talk about how to find everlasting happiness, and that's what we're talking about here. All of this work is a process which which I underwent. And having gone through that whole process, realized it was a process anyone could follow. So I called it the anatomy of happy, and it's all outlined in the book. But it goes through self-realization, unlearning, self-love, forgiveness, mm-hmm. and connection. And of course, I'd already learned about death at the at the beginning of my of my journey, even pre pre self-realization. And I'd and then through working with plant medicines, had some frankly profound experiences that showed me that death is not the end. So. Mm-hmm. The book, yes, it's called How to Die Happy. Yes, it's, it talks about death, but only in as much as challenging people to reconsider and, and to regularly discuss it, discuss it. Because everything in this world is subject to the universe, universal law of impermanence. And we know that. We know that this microphone isn't going to last forever. We know that the hairs on this beard will not be the same by the end of today. We know that these eyes are going to stop working, that this face is going to change that, that this body will cease to work the earth rover is going to run out of gas we know that every one of us knows that yet we're still surprised 
when someone dies. Mm. And I argue, or I don't really argue, I just I put forward the, the, the point that, that this is where the work must begin. We've got to, we've got to tackle that. We've got to, we've got to ask ourselves, why are we surprised? And in that surprise, what happens next? What are the ramifications of that surprise? That is to say, if you're not prepared for your mother's death, with whom you had a tempestuous relationship, with whom you severely wish that you'd come together and had some much more meaningful conversations about your past so that you could move forward together in a a brighter future, but then they're dead, then does that not mean that we need to reframe our relationship with death? How can we do that? Well, there are loads of ways we do that. It's all in the book. Mm. So yeah, that's why it's called How to Die Happy. It's essentially, it's essentially pointing out if you want to live a truly fulfilling life and understand the concept of everlasting happiness and embody it, then you must also embody impermanence. Mm. Uh, Amazing. So that was a good old ramble. I have one minute left. No, that's perfect. I don't know why I have one minute left. I know I upgraded, so I don't know what it is. So to share with us where we can find that book. Well, you can find How to Die Happy all over the place now. It's on Amazon Worldwide. I've gone to the trouble of creating a paperback, a Kindle, or an ebook, and an audiobook. So you can find it on 45 audio. plus audiobook channels. You can get it on Kindle, Nook, Perfect. all the other platform, all the other Everywhere. platforms that I can't remember now. <laughs> Google Play, <laughs> Spotify, Scribed, yeah, Audible, you name it. And of course, you can go into a, into your local bookstore and ask for it. And if they haven't got it, then if enough of you do that, then they'll they'll stock it. So, <laughs> and you can find out more on howtodiehappybook.com, of course, if you want to do that. Or follow me on Instagram, which is at Martin O'Toole, or of course our podcast, which is How to Die Happy Podcast, or How to Die Happy underscore podcast on Instagram. I do have a freebie for your listeners. I, I've uh, so during the recording of the audiobook in the studio, I got some guys to film me recording a couple of chapters, and I thought it would be quite fitting, given the nature of our conversation, to share the a video link to me reading chapter 20 which is called mm-hmm. shadow work oh perfect that'll be perfect you guys all grab that free and listen to that shadow work amazing thank you for that thank you really appreciate your time and what you yeah. what you bring into the thank world thank you for being here thank you yes i appreciate you as well for being here and sharing your wisdom and knowledge it's really been impactful today thank you thanks raven And there you have it. Such a powerful, amazing conversation with Martin. And I hope that that gives you clarity as to don't stay and have hope that the narcissist will change. However, know that they are humans too. They are not, they may have dark entities attached to them, but again, they are humans and they have a lot of different complex emotions running around with their big heart walls up and Yeah. I mean, anything's possible, but I think that's a really interesting point. He also covered was that it takes the ability to face your darkness, right? Through the shadow work. It takes the ability to face your fears and your ego self through the plant medicine in a guided environment through ayahuasca. And most narcissists in our society, they don't even want to go to therapy. So These are all the things that they really need to do if they wish to truly transform. And if they're not transforming and they're just 
sharing and talking, then they're just playing the game in a different platform. So this has been such an enlightening and beautiful conversation. I hope you benefited from it. Here's a preview of his free boundaries chapter. Saying no to strangers is easy because they take it as your first answer most of the time. It's the friends, family and co-workers who push boundaries. They'll need telling a few times in a few ways before you'll notice the shift in dynamic. But boy oh boy, you feel lighter and freer when that shift takes place. And so you should. Setting healthy boundaries cuts toxic energetic ties. It draws a line in the sand. And there's a sign by your handiwork. It says, respectfully and with all the love in the world, don't fuck with this line. With boundaries, you're setting out your stall to define who you are and who you most certainly are not. Don't forget to grab the chapter called The Beauty of Boundaries from his audiobook in the link in the show notes. Now that you have your free human design chart that I've emailed you, and if not, definitely grab that by signing up the form at ravenscott.show. How do you dive deeper? How do you understand the chart? I just showed you a chart as well. And you're like, I don't know exactly what she's saying, but I'm listening to learn, right? And that's perfectly fine. So sometimes you just wanna dive deep into your chart and know everything, but that does cost thousands of dollars in individual readings, which is totally fine if you have it, and I'm happy to do that. But if you're like me, there's only so much information that you can absorb in one session. So with the Empath Healing membership, you gain personalized on-demand videos curated for you and your fellow members to understand your unique chart. As you directly email me your questions, I will create videos to answer them and I'll email them directly to you. Then you also gain monthly healing group circles and coaching to cleanse your aura and harness your moon magic. And you gain access to the full library of narc abuse, healing information, human design library, and guided meditations. All of this you receive for the cost of only $34 a month to join the Empath Healing membership now at ravenscott.show or the link is in the show notes. If you want personal help in gaining clarity, your authentic power back, and healing to be rid of the narcissist for good, join our Empath community and receive sparkle reminder inspiration every Saturday and strategies to heal from narcissist abuse. Plus, get your free human design chart summary and free 20-minute support call with me. As soon as you're in, I'll gift you your human design reading with your type, strategy, and inner authority. So join now and get your reading within 24 hours. I'm so grateful for you listening finding the show and sharing it with your friends it would give a great boost in the heart-centered algorithm to rate and review this podcast if you are enjoying it take a screenshot share it on your socials share it in a text message to a friend that you know right now needs to be pulled out of the quicksand and remember always keep your unique light shining
losing time, I'm fading fast I just wanna make it last Try to let go of the past I close my eyes, embrace the blast Sleepless nights and headaches stack Restlessness to hell and back What's my purpose, what do I grab? A slippery surface, a heart attack And sometimes you just gotta believe There's something that'll give you relief There's something that'll have what you need what you need we're broken it's tragic we're not all elastic but maybe there's magic but